WALT, it's the Midnight Disease. Sam Dingman coming to you on the Electro Voice RE20 via the Great River, ME1NV, the Harrison 32 EQ, and the RNC 500. Analog tones on a Monday afternoon, delivered in the spirit of good company from the Moon Cabin. Folks, in the early 19th century, a German playwright named Georg Buchner began writing a play called Wojtzeck. The story concerns a soldier in a small town who's trying to earn extra money by participating in some fringy medical experiments with a local doctor. In one of these experiments, the doctor has Wojtzeck eat nothing but peas. Wojtzeck slowly begins to go mad, and his girlfriend leaves him for a drum major. Wojtzeck confronts the drum major, who beats Wojtzeck within an inch of his life. Embarrassed and humiliated, Wojtzeck then stabs his girlfriend to death and disposes of the knife in a pond. Eventually, Wojtzeck is put on trial for murder and convicted. Or at least, that's one way the story could go. The thing about Wojtzeck is that Buchner died before he finished it, and he left behind the scenes of the play— but no specific guidance about what order they're supposed to go in. The bare bones of the story are thick with meat, but Chef Buchner didn't leave behind a recipe. So for almost 200 years now, Wojtzeck has maintained this mystique. The text holds the promise of a multi-course feast if only you can figure out how to cook it, and it will never taste the same way twice. Depending on what order the scenes are presented in, Theater companies have staged Wojtzeck as a story about capitalist society destroying human morality, or individual hubris, or the corrupting influence of military psychology. Wojtzeck has been on my mind because in last week's episode of The Midnight Disease, Kristen Conger and I talked about how we both started podcasting back in 2009, still the very earliest days of this medium. And then, in an unrelated incident... I was poking around in my Google Drive last week, looking for a copy of my resume. As you know, if you read my latest Substack post, I was unsuccessful in locating the resume, but I did stumble upon a file from 2012 that I have no memory of creating, a mysterious document called Zartuli's Birthday. You can read Zartuli's Birthday on Substack if you would like, but for our purposes here on this episode, I wanted to tell you about something else I found which is the very first podcast episode that I ever made. Sort of. What I actually found are the raw files from the GarageBand session where I recorded that very first podcast. The final episode itself that was generated from assembling the files is gone, but the raw narration, music, and sound effects tracks are all there. So when I found this, I thought I would do a little experiment. Could I reconstruct this very first podcast episode? I had almost no memory of what the episode was about. Actually, the only specific memory I had was trying to create the theme song. I used the software instrument sounds in GarageBand, and I remember spending hours trying to figure out which letters on the computer keyboard corresponded to virtual percussion sounds or notes on the piano trying to tap the B and K keys in time with a digital metronome to make a snare drum part to accompany a piano chord, which I generated by holding down the R and U keys, using imperfect tools 
to create an approximation of a vague sound in my head. And so, with that memory, and not much else to go on, I loaded these 15-year-old files into my editing rig and tried to remake my first podcast. And pretty quickly, a Buchnerian challenge reared its ugly head. The audio files consisted of a brief introduction, clearly unscripted, and then a handful of very short comedy bits with no discernible relationship to each other. I could not, for the life of me, remember what order I had put them in originally. And the more I listened to them, a more difficult question emerged. Why did I think any of this was even worth recording? The segments mostly consisted of me telling jokes in a rotating series of the character voices I thought I was good at. Spooky British guy, Brooklyn doofus, and genteel southerner. There was a cringe-inducing umbrella pun, and the theme song was all over the place. No matter what order I put these segments in, I could not make them build towards anything resembling a meditation on morality. Though it is possible that this exercise contains a lesson about hubris. As I sat there, moving these ancient waveforms back and forth, I remembered something, which is the feeling that I had the morning after I released this first podcast episode. After the sense of triumph I felt at 4 a.m. when I finally got my janky garage band theme song lined up with my umbrella puns and exported the file... I remember sitting at my day job the next morning, bleary-eyed and over-caffeinated, surreptitiously playing and then replaying the episode on my office computer, and realizing that it sucked. That I had stayed up all night recording and editing, and the result was six and a half minutes of, well, this. Hey! Do you know who I'll bet is really happy about the current popularity of the phrase totes as shorthand for totally? Totes. You know, the umbrella company? I bet they are psyched. I remember thinking, how could I have worked this hard and ended up with something that sounds nothing like me? I think I remember that feeling so clearly because that is still the way I feel every time I publish a new episode. What I found, in other words, are the earliest symptoms of my own midnight disease. This feeling of complete conviction that I have something to say, and the haunting, ever-present worry that I don't know how to say it. At first, reconstructing this first podcast episode left me feeling pretty down. Having spent so much time trying to remember what order the pieces were supposed to go in, I felt embarrassed about how unmemorable the final product was. So I did something that I often do when I'm feeling lost. I went on YouTube and I looked up an interview with Ira Glass, the creator of This American Life. I find Ira's interviews simultaneously affirming and maddening. They're maddening because Ira has this way of making the world-class storytelling he and his team do sound deceptively simple. I have his refrain memorized at this point. Start with a compelling scene, focus on characters trying to find an answer to something, pause the story every once in a while to reflect on everything that's happened, and try to tell it in a conversational way. 
And every time I listen to one of these interviews, I sit there and mentally self-flagellate. Here is Chef Ira giving away the recipe for the secret sauce. And I can't ever seem to make it. But there's this other thing that Ira always says, something he always seems to find a way to bring up, including in the interview that I listened to the other day. Just start. Start making it. Like, don't, don't wait. Don't wait for, you know, like, you know, just start making stuff. And so, after the humiliation of trying to remake my first episode, I went back to Google Drive and I poked around a little more. I found my second episode, which is also largely comprised of forgettable puns and non-sequiturs. In the third episode, my comedy partner and I pretended to be anthropologists visiting a mysterious island ruled by an evil trapezoid. In the fifth episode, I did a segment called 25 Spinglies on the Jazzbo Tip, where I played a drum loop and recited a series of absurdist aphorisms, including, and I regrettably quote, Mictorly drangles may sparf your nooglies in the night. It would be a long time before I wrote anything I remember feeling proud of, something that actually told the truth about who I am and what I care about. I did find a few somewhat promising glimmers, an essay about drinking too much beer and then almost setting the apartment on fire when I tried to cook a DiGiorno pizza, another one about the time my girlfriend and I had mice in our apartment and put out glue traps, which the mice were experts at avoiding, but which she and I somehow kept stepping in. But those fleeting moments of honesty were few and far between. Mostly, I made episodes like the one with the game show, where contestants give zero to five star ratings to things ranging from yacht rock to the concept of chivalry. I made an episode where I played the sound of foxes mating in the bushes for a full minute. I made an episode where I invited a musician to improvise love songs based on listener suggestions, and a parody of StoryCorps featuring a monologue from a spooky British guy named Gravlax the Nettlebane. And here I am, 15 years later, still making these fucking episodes. <laughs> I would like to think that I do a better job of just being myself these days, but I still get stuck in my own glue traps, including the biggest one of all, which is believing that someday I am going to line these waveforms up in a way that reveals my true path. I don't know where I think that path is supposed to lead or why I'm even convinced that it exists. But I do know that there's only one way out of the trap which is that every week I start, I make a new podcast, and I try to remember that even if it doesn't come out sounding the way I think it does at 4 a.m., making it matters. If nothing else, every episode, including this one, is a reminder that the best I can hope for is an imperfect approximation of a vague sound in my head. When I sat down to write this episode, I thought I was going to end it by playing you the full results of my attempt to resurrect that first podcast. But in light of everything I've told you about it, I am not going to subject you to that. Instead, I'm just going to play you a little piece of it. A very short audio essay about how there used to be this video game that most people loved, but I thought was annoying. I don't know exactly what I was going for when I wrote this, but I do know 
what I hear when I listen to it now. My first attempt to sit down in front of a microphone and say, I see the world differently than everyone else around me, and I feel like no one else understands. But maybe you will? I know a lot of people like playing the game Super Smash Bros. Brawl for the Nintendo Wii. However, all of these people are messed up jerks, seriously, because that game is so annoying. Here are the reasons that I do not enjoy this dumb and stupid game. 1. It is impossible to do any of the moves. 2. If you jump anywhere, then you die. 3. The camera is always zooming in and out, and I feel like a crazy person. 4. Sometimes the entire level turns into something else, and it's like, what the hell is this now? Also, it's all like, oh, get that floating thing that's floating there. And then you try to get it, and it involves jumping, which, as I mentioned, makes you die. And then while you're dying, someone else gets the floating thing, and it turns the entire screen into a giant missile that shoots you, and you die again. Now, of course, in good video games of enjoyment and fun, it is possible to play them one of two ways. One, learn the moves and engage in strategic-type goings-on. Two, push all of the buttons and yell. I'm not saying that either of these approaches is better than the other, but I like a game which caters to both approaches. Smash Brothers is an epic fail in the number two department. Seriously, the only yells I get to do are ones of lamentation as I sink to my death over and over again, whilst everyone else gleefully engages in smash moves, jump shots, and crazy secret umbrella tricks. But the main thing is this. Everyone is all like, Sam, it is so easy and fun to play this game. Please get over your issues and join us in Mr. Game & Watch's maddening house of peril where you die all the time. I will not be joining you there. Fact. Are you ready for a fact? All people who loved the stupid and overrated movie Wall-E love Super Smash Brothers. Therefore, by the third angle theorem, these people are all idiots. Ha! Now, you see what I've done? I've used the numerical powers of mathematical Jim Dibbery to imprison you in my logic box made of steel nerves. It may be false, but it is also flase, which is Moonjarvian for Sam is right about everything. And do not believe what you hear upon the televisions. Television is a mind control device. Moonjarvia is the way. And Dingman is the light of all of the knowledge. Please note, if you do not submit now, your soul will be a tea kettle whistling lonelies into the inky night. Also, please do be advised that Moonjarvia, one, appears on no known maps, two, is an unknown island floating in a sea of cake icing, and three, is controlled by Prime Minister Hooting Owl and his Deputy Secretary of Root Beer. You should come for a swim in the delicious tides of the icing sea, as the Moonjarvian sun sinks low in the east-west skies. Every once in a while, buried in the rubble, there's a footprint. The Midnight Disease is hosted, produced, mixed, and edited by me, Sam Dingman. And if anything in this episode resonated with you, drop me a line at midnight at WALT.FM. I'll talk to you soon, and until then, keep driving. Oh, the streets of Rome are filled with rubble, ancient footprints are everywhere. You can almost think that you're seeing Hurry!
You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio.